On this episode of Signal by the Hawaii Independent, we interview candidates running in the 2014 Democratic Party primary for Hawaii's Congressional District 1 seat in the House of Representatives. This district extends all the way from Hawaii Kai to Kapolei and has been filled by Daniel Inouye, Patsy Mink, and current Hawaii Governor Neil Abercrombie. On this show, author Tom Kaufman and law professor Mari Matsuda interview Hawaii State Senator Donna Mercado Kim, who represents District 14 and serves as President of the Senate. So, in in a few words, could you tell us something about the top three or so concerns that you have that you want to address on a national level? My top three concerns, first one being this budget. I've always been concerned about the budget my background coming from a poor family and knowing how hard it is to make ends meet. I've always been holding government accountable for spending, trying to make government more efficient and accountable. So I would like to see the Congress balance budget. I know that's something that have eluded them for a long time, but that's something that I believe that we all need to do. We do it in the city, we've done it in the state. We do it in our our households. So certainly that's one of the top things that I would like to do. Having been the chair of the Ways and Means Committee in the Senate as well, I've balanced that budget over $20 billion. The other area is seniors. Social Security protecting the benefits for our seniors, uh, keeping our promises to them. Uh, And the other is our economy, jobs, and getting the federal government to understand and help the states, especially those that have tourism as part of its economy. You know, the words liberal and conservative are often not very helpful, but somebody could react to your agenda by saying that's a pretty conservative agenda, particularly balanced budget is usually liberalism is equated often with uh, tax and spend and conservatism with let's balance the budget. Um, what, what would you say to that if somebody said, gee, uh, I'd like to vote for you, except you sound a little too conservative for me? Well, I believe I'm moderate. Uh, I believe mm-hmm. that we need balance in our lives. We need balance mm-hmm. in government. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you can't have everything on one far end or the other end. I think you need to come to the middle, and that's mm-hmm. been the problem with our country. And it's a problem with overspending. We've mm-hmm. got trillions and trillions of dollars in the deficit. China owns a lot of our debt, and that's scary. And I think we need to be responsible with the people's money. Um, You know, whether you're a liberal or a conservative, I think the fact that uh, as we work and we run our households, that we have to balance how much money we take in and how much we can spend. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, that's basic. Senator, one way uh, to increase revenue, and this has been suggested by some economists that have looked at our national crisis, Um, we can balance the budget by increasing revenue, particularly with an aggressively progressive income tax. Would you be in favor of um, repealing some of the Reagan-Bush-era tax cuts that um, some economists feel have channeled wealth increasingly to the top not just 1%, but the top 1% of the top 1% and away from the middle class. Absolutely. I would like to take a look at many of those and, uh, things and take a look and see how we can spread it out better and those that can't afford 
to pay. At the same time, we need to want to encourage uh, businesses and encourage investment. Uh, but I think that we need to look at if we're giving tax credits and, and making it easier for those people wealthy to, to amass more, then certainly that needs to be changed. Obamacare is a, a big ticket item the new big ticket item. Mm -hmm. What's your take on Obamacare? Uh, what should be done about medical cost? Is it on the right track or, or should it be um, you know, uh, amended significantly? Well, Obamacare started out as being affordable health care for Americans. My concern is, for some reason, it gotten away from being affordable. That word affordable... Um, has eluded us in the way the program has rolled out and the way the program is being administered, the amount of subsidies and monies that have gone in to compare to the amount of people that have actually enrolled into the program. Similarly, here in Hawaii, we have that exact same problem. We've got almost not quite 10,000 people enrolled in the program, and we have expended, oh, God, how much have we expended? Um, one point, is that 1.2 million? I'm sorry, I have my numbers here, but besides, that's beside the point. It turns out that we are spending quite a lot of money for a small part. Hawaii has a very good prepaid health care uh, program. I'm surprised that President Obama didn't base his um, affordable health care, Obamacare, on Hawaii's program. Certainly, we didn't cover everybody. We have that amount of people that we need to get to, but I don't think that Obamacare is the answer to being able to cover those individuals that are not covered under our uh, prepaid health care. And so I think Obamacare needs to be tweaked. Uh, I would like to see Hawaii exempt from Obamacare. I'd like to see our state legislature go back in and look at our health care, prepaid health care, and see how we cannot expand it to take care of those people that are not covered. Um, you're the only candidate who favors pursuing an exemption, I think. At least that was what was reported in the Star Advertiser. Is that, is that the right? That's correct, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, just expand a little further on why you think it should be exempt, because I think people, um, th these are very complicated right. issues for people. Well, because, again, for, for decades, Hawaii has led the nation with the best prepaid health care program. And we have covered, I believe, almost 90% of our population is covered under that program. Uh, it's not a perfect program, and so we do have a little ways to go. But under Obamacare, it changes everything. And now it's costing all of our businesses who've been working, costing them more money. And the amount of money that um, the the FY14 budget was $140 million for the Obamacare. 99% uh, of that was the federal grants. And if you divide that among the uh, less than 10,000 applications um, for those individuals, we could have taken that money and covered them and still not p pay all that. So um, we have a system that has been working quite well. It's been proven, and it needs to be tweaked and I don't think Obamacare actually has done that tweaking for us. Are you talking about Hawaii specifically, or is your position I'm against Obamacare no, I'm um, talking something about that you would 
translate to, to the national level? In other words, um, do you think it was a good idea for the federal government to get involved with providing health care for all? I'm specifically talking about Hawaii, and I think that was the question that was asked on whether or not Hawaii should be exempt, because we were, we were the few states that had uh, a health care um, system. Then none of the other states, I think Massachusetts was the other one, there are a couple other states. As far as the rest of the country, certainly I think Obamacare uh, is there and is helping um, to make up those areas in which those states did not have a program like ours. However, that's not to say that there's not been a lot of problems and that it should be tweaked. It needs to be tweaked. There's no program that is absolutely perfect. And um, so, you know, I think that we need to embrace that and say, okay, now that we have it at this point, let's see what we can do to make it better. Let's get back to the premise that of care, health care needs to be affordable. One more uh, question about socioeconomics um, before we move on uh, we've just been through legislating on minimum wage in Hawaii um, what is your attitude towards a federal increase in the minimum wage further increase in the minimum wage I think specifically you had asked, do you favor a $15 an hour minimum wage yeah. well at this point Hawaii we passed a 1010 and that's what the president recommended, 1010 for the federal um, increase in the minimum wage. Uh, I think that getting over that hurdle on the federal level is going to be one, one area. And to go to 15, I don't think is going to be realistic as far as the Congress. So we need to take it in steps. Uh, I think you need to give businesses a chance to be able to uh, work themselves up into that because their budgets and many uh, small businesses may not be able to sustain a really fast increase. Uh, at some point, though, it eventually will go up to that amount. Do you think a family can support itself on $10 an hour in Hawaii? No, and I don't think the minimum wage uh, started out or is intended to be uh, a living wage. It started out being an entry wage, uh, and so hopefully it, it gets people into the workplace and then get them to move up into other jobs. Mm-hmm. Positions. Okay. Well, as long as we're on the budget, and I think that is um, economic issues at the national level are on the um, front burner for, for many families. Um, one issue that I see with my own students is how the student debt load is really limiting their life choices. Um, we have some students graduating with six-figure debt. Would you be in favor of national assistance to help students um, deal with that debt load, including debt forgiveness? Absolutely. Uh, I think that it's outrageous the how much it's costing uh, for college education, having a son in college. Uh, I can attest to that. Um, I think, I shouldn't say I think, I believe that we need to look at why is it costing so much. Uh, it's one thing to get to borrow money, but you have to borrow money because the cost is so high. So the root of the problem is, to begin with, is that tuition is way too high. Uh, we need to look at the universities and where the money's going. I mean, just look at our university itself. Um, so I see a lot of waste. Uh, I see a lot of um, high salaries being paid for administrators who not necessarily... Um, have earned or produced 
uh, are worth the amount of money that we're paying them. Uh, there are a number of policies that our regions have, in fact, uh, waived, and it shouldn't be. So there's a lot of areas in which colleges can become more efficient and not have to charge as much in tuition. So we need to do something on the federal level to give incentives to colleges to get them to lower the tuition costs. We need to make sure that the interest rate that's being charged to our students is low or zero, and we need to look at programs in which we can encourage students so that we can forgive some of those loans uh, should they get into the certain programs. And would you be in favor of spending federal funds to do that. Yes, I would like us to look at, you know, I mean, there are so many programs, and every time we talk about stuff, we talk about, well, you know, we need money from the federal government. It's very easy to say, yes, let's give more money to the federal government, and then we look at, well, how do we balance the budget? So there and we have to look at what our priorities and where we want to place those monies. And so that's why when we talked about Obamacare, when we look at some of the costs that went and we paid for that, some of those monies can be used in other areas. Uh, but it requires us to be disciplined, and it requires us to stay focused. And there are so many things that's nice to have, but we need to look at what, what are those basic needs uh, that we need to get to the people. You, you talked about, you know, inefficiency and waste and administrators who are essentially overpaid because they haven't performed at a level that would warrant what they're being paid Mm -hmm. uh, at UH. Uh, Could you be more specific? Yes. Uh, For example, the last two presidents that we hired, uh, I believe uh, with um, President Greenwood and President um, Dobell, were two instances where I know we did a search and wanted the best and the brightest for our president to come to the University of Hawaii. And we found that in both instances there were issues and that perhaps they did not do as well a job that they should have for the amount of money that we were paying them. And I know it's very competitive and they, you know, we keep talking about, well, if we want the best, we need to pay as much. But we've, we've paid and, I mean, the proof's in the pudding and what we got. Um, there's instances such as sabbaticals in the case of uh, our chancellor Virginia Henshaw the policy with the Board of Regents is that you have to uh, have been employed for five years before or was it six before you would be eligible for your paid sabbatical well she was one year short and they waived that, and then they gave it to her, the sabbatical, for one year at the chancellor's salary and not at her new tenured salary. Uh, so that area, um, there's instant, instant, um, my, my mind just went blank, tenure. Mm-hmm. Uh, the regents have instituted over the last few years uh, instant tenure where they just automatically give these administrators a tenure without them having to work for it. Uh, so those are all issues and concerns, and many of the policies are already in place, but they chose to waive it as they went forward. So and many of these uh, administrators who come back as tenured professors are not in the classrooms. The students are not benefiting by their work. Uh, I think Dobell wrote a, wrote some report. Um, so the students are not benefiting by having the so-called best and brightest and top of their field uh, at the university. Um, so th- that's a concern. As part of economic recovery, 
uh, economists of the Keynesian school would argue that the government should be spending money, mm -hmm. um, particularly in job creation, particularly for bright young people. We happen to have one in the room taking pictures, uh, an Ivy League intern. Um, for our students that are graduating from college and ready to serve their country, ready to perform, um, we find that we're, there aren't opportunities. And with some effort, we could create opportunities. We did this during the New Deal with the Work, work Products Administration. Um, should we be doing that now? You've told us that we need to balance the budget. You've told us we need to, we need to become more efficient. Uh, so my question really is, what should we be spending on um, that could possibly um, increase revenues and generate a strong economy? Well, first of all, we need to, we need to spend on those basic programs that we've promised the people. So uh, let me just say that straight out first. Uh, yes, I think that uh, having, our, having a strong economy depends upon jobs, and having jobs will depend upon what kind of um, industries, what kind of businesses that government can give incentives through tax credits and so forth. On one hand, we talk about big business and, you know, should government be giving tax credits, but at the same time, how do we generate jobs? We need to invest in some of these um, incubators, some of these um, um, projects that, uh, you know, new ideas and new things that are coming up and we need to, and I know there are programs of that sort. Uh, so, but again, we have to balance it all. Let's talk about military spending. Um, some people say the military budget is uh, is the one budget which can't be you know cut or can't be critically examined. Um, some people say we really need to cut, make some deep cuts in military to balance out against the uh, social side of the uh, budget. Um, where do where do you come down on this as a person deeply concerned about balancing the budget? Well, I think everything needs to be looked at. There, we can be more efficient in all areas, including the military. I don't like where we just cut across the board. And I think that's the problem with sequestration is cutting across the board. I think our military can become more efficient and more up-to-date with technology. There are areas in which they can do the job better and we need to look at that. And there, I hear about, and I don't know for, for sure, but I hear about a number of things that the military buys that we don't even use. Mm -hmm. It's sitting in warehouses, it's sitting places, and we will invest in helicopters or, or planes that turn out to be unusable or does not meet the specifications, and uh, there's a number of those kinds of things going on, and I really think that we need to hold them accountable for that, and so there's just so much waste. In, in terms of how military spending plays out in Hawaii, there are two sort of conflicting attitudes. One is we have too much military presence, too much uh, military impact on the environment in places like Makua and Pohakaloa. And then the, the other is, uh, no, we have to, you know, uh, accommodate the military uh, because they are our economic lifeline and so on. And these two are sort of in, a, in continuing tension. Where do you come down on that? 
Well, we need to we need to support the military for for both reasons that you brought up. One, we need to because it it's our second industry. You know why, as far as jobs are concerned, uh, the amount of money that's brought in by the military, and the second is because we are strategically located in the Pacific, and I believe that the security and our country need to make sure that we are strategically located. And Hawaii is a key key place uh, for us to have the troops and for the military to be stationed here. So again, it's a balance. We need to balance it. And I know nobody wants to see less jobs here in Hawaii as far as the military is concerned. And so <coughs> making making sure that uh, we look at those areas that we can become more efficient and we can modernize, we need to do that wherever possible. While we're on the military, can we transition to foreign policy? Uh, One question that voters have for all the candidates for this seat is that we know you on the local level, but we don't know um, what your policies will be on the national and international level. Um, You mentioned your concern about the budget. Um, One of the things that seriously unbalanced our budget um, nationally was the war in Iraq. Um, The late Congresswoman Patsy Mink um, was one of the few people in Congress who spoke vociferously against the U.S. entry into that war. Um, If you had been in Congress at that time, would you have supported um, the invasion of Iraq? Um, And in retrospect, would that have been a good choice? No, I would not have supported it. And, uh, you know, I, I have a son. And before we send anybody's uh, children into war, we need to have a really good reason for that. Uh, I also believe in a strong, strong America, a strong military. But if it's a direct hit or a direct um, impact to our national security, to our country, to our freedoms, then yes, we need to be strong and we need to step up. But we cannot be the policemen of the world. Uh, We tend to want to get into every conflict. Uh, And I visited Europe. I I understand the conflicts. I understand uh, the heightened sense of those people living there and the threat of nuclear war. I visited Israel and the people there. I mean, we take our we take our freedoms for granted. Uh, they don't know when one of their children will be on a bus and it'll be bombed. Uh, I visited visited an area of um, apartments where they had to put bulletproof glass, um, and at night they'd have to they'd have to um, shrink down because um, snipers would be shooting at them. Uh, these are things that I think that we take for granted that we have. And so, at the same time, though, we have a lot of our own problems here in our, our state and our country. We need to make sure that we can take care of our homeless, we can take care of our vets, that we have uh, children uh, that are not being fed. So we, we have a lot of issues and problems. So I don't take that uh, lightly going into war. I think it's a decision Congress should make. Uh, so no, I would not have supported going into Iraq. Should I take from that um, an implication that you would not currently favor a second invasion of Iraq or involvement militarily in Syria for U.S. troops? Yes, you can. You're opposed to both of those actions? Yes. Mm -hmm. And let me just clarify. You know, I am opposed to the actions of what I know. It's not to say that 
once all of the information is brought forth. And if, in fact, it, it, it does put us in harm's way as far as our country, our national security, then I would have to take a look at that. So, you know, I speak from what I read and what I hear, and that may not be accurate information. So, you know, hopefully that'll hold true throughout the interview. The Israel-Palestine issue, which you glimpsed in your trip, um, is often thought of as being at the heart of many of these other issues in terms of the relationship between ourselves and the Islamic world. Um, what would your attitude be? What is your attitude toward um, that <clears throat> ongoing problem uh, toward the various proposals uh, about a solution and toward uh, the U.S. role? Well, I believe that the U.S. should have had stronger sanctions earlier on um, for against. Israel against um, <clears throat> the, uh, <coughs> the, the, the Muslims and Israel's Sorry, my, my mind is just off right now. <clears throat> Jordan and Syria and, and, and uh, all of their uh, conflicts that they are involved in. However, Israel, having been there, they are the last democracy that is in Europe at this point in time. And I know that this United States, in fact, have made promises to Israel. Uh, I believe that we can, without putting troops on the ground, without getting into a war, to uh, try and assist through economic sanctions uh, to be able to keep the nuclear war or nuclear weapons from escalating. We're also um, the biggest supporter of Israel in terms of military aid at the level of billions of dollars. Um, there are some who are concerned that the current um, missile attacks on Gaza are a violation of human rights and of international law because of the level of civilian casualties. Mm -hmm. Do you have a position on that um, and um, the connection to USAID? What should Congress's response be? Well, we have to have allies throughout the world. And on one hand, as I said earlier, we can't be the policemen of the world, but at the same time, we have to have allies and we need to have friends and we need to work together. We need to look at those countries that we can work with, trying to uh, make sure that we countries have the option to for democracy and, and um, not be intimidated or not be wiped off the face of the earth. Uh, in that sense. So I do support our our ally uh, friendship with Israel, and I do believe that we should support them because if Israel goes and nuclear weapons get out of control, it's going to eventually harm us. Uh, it's going to... It's going to affect the United States. We want to keep it on that peninsula and not have it come over uh, to North America. The specific question about um, the current missile attack on Gaza, do you have a position on that? Should the U.S. be putting pressure on Israel for a ceasefire? Yeah, I would not want, uh, want them to continue, but I, I know some of the some of the things that have happened to Israel that is causing them to fight back against them. And so 
again, I don't know all the details, and so to second guess them at this point in time, I don't know that I can do that. In terms of solutions, uh, one of the solutions uh, that's advanced recurringly is a two-state solution, a, a an independent Palestine uh, in Gaza and on the banks of the Jordan River and and an, an independent Israel. Uh, do you have an opinion on that solution? No, Which, I, I, I don't. I know that mm-hmm. the Israeli people are torn about that and whether or not that can, in fact, work. The details on who would be where, I think, is of great concern to them. Yeah. So... When, when was your trip? Uh, I'm, I'm curious about your trip. and uh, you two, know, I think uh, it was two Decembers ago, uh-huh. two or three Decembers ago. And how was it you, you took it to you? And that seems remarkable. I was... Uh, actually, the invitation came for the Senate president to uh, be on... This is a... I can't remember exactly. Israel... American, American, Israel, I can't remember the name. It's, it's an entity that invite legislators to visit and spend a week in Israel. And the current Senate president at the time could not make it and asked me if I would, if I would go in its place. Uh, initially, I w- was not going to go. And uh, I was told that, you know, that maybe you should go, and and so I did, and I'm glad I did because uh, it was an eye opener f- for me. Um, mm-hmm. Had never been uh, to Israel before, and didn't really understand all the conflicts that was going on. And I don't pretend to understand that all now, but I had a firsthand experience uh, with the people there and understanding some of the concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I happened to go a few years ago, and it really shook me up, actually. Uh, just the whole environment of right. it, yeah. Uh, without going into details, both you and your um, competitor Mark Takai have been on this, I think, legislator, and it's basically financed by you know a, a pro-Israeli lobby, right? Um, which is certainly you know um, a legitimate function of lobbying, except it's part of this impression that the influence of Israel is so pervasive and that they're so busy influencing people high and low, such as yourself and many other, you know, uh, policy-making people in uh, either policy or emerging policy or potentially emerging policy positions. Well, the trip that I participated in included speakers at luncheons and dinners and it was not a easy trip because you were not given a lot of free time you were there to witness and see what exactly is going on the type of speakers that they had came from all all a broad area we had journalists we had um, people from from the courts, the judiciary, we had uh, lay people. And so it was a really broad sense. And I believe that I'm an independent thinker. And so I'm not about to be influenced uh, or brainwashed or propaganda. 
questions were asked. Uh, we heard from a number of different sources, and I came away from that trip uh, with the with the sense that I have about a country and a people that are being uh, that they would like that their enemies would like to wipe them off the earth. Now, whether or not we agree with them or not, I would. It, it, it's hard when you have, if they wanted to wipe the United States off the map. Um, you know, it's one thing to have disagreements. It's one thing to be at odds with each other. But it's another thing when a another group just think that you are uh, so bad that you'd have no right to exist in the same world anymore. I mean, that is... Me very I'd like to move to some specific questions since we've asked other candidates these questions and I think um, listeners would be interested in your answers um, and we're running out of time. So on the um, Trans-Pacific Partnership, there is a movement to fast-track that treaty so that um, some people le- believe it would spur economic growth throughout the Pacific. Um, others, including some in Hawaii and throughout the Pacific, feel that the full and informed consent of the citizenry uh, means that we should stop this process um, and um, examine further. Do you have a position on free trade in the Pacific and fast-tracking the TPP? No, I don't. I need to do a lot more research. I need to do a lot more, uh, <coughs> get a better understanding of exactly uh, what it entails and the problems that come with it, pros and cons. Um, so I don't, I'm the, I don't have a preset Another question we've asked about is in the area of energy policy. Um, People are waiting um, to see if the Obama administration is going to stop the Keystone Pipeline. It has not happened yet. Um, Some environmentalists think that that is a make-it-or-break-it issue in terms of our commitment to doing something about global warming and dependency on fossil fuels. Uh, Are you opposed to the Keystone Pipeline? I certainly lean towards being opposed to the Keystone. Again, I don't have all of the details and facts, but I am concerned about its impact to our environment. I don't know what promises were made for that, but I think that it is something that, at this point, I am certainly leaning towards more towards not being in favor of it. Thank you. We're throwing a lot of questions at you, and you're answering directly. I appreciate that. Um, What about drone strikes and targeted killings? Um, The Obama administration has claimed the executive authority to engage in targeted killings without consenting, uh, uh, first obtaining the consent of um, Congress or any other kind of oversight. Do you think the president should have that power? No, no. I think I said, I believe I said earlier that if we're going to do any kind of strikes and attacks, that the Congress should be the one to make that decision. And I believe that's in our Constitution uh, for that. You know, I'm a Democrat, and Obama is from Hawaii, and he's a Democrat, and certainly uh, very proud of him and support him as a president. But he's not perfect. And there are things that I think that he sometimes may overstep his boundaries with executive orders. And so... Uh, in this situation, I think, again, he needs to come to the Congress. You've been quite um, forthcoming with the voters about your religious convictions and the way they've influenced you on issues like gay marriage. Um, I think some voters actually um, feel some relief when they see that people are willing to uh, bring faith to the table, and others, of course, are concerned. 
Um, one current area of concern um, is around uh, the Hobby Lobby decision in the Supreme Court and whether um, religious groups should be able to cl- claim exemptions from, for instance, providing contraceptives for workers. Um, another issue that is we're going to hear more of is whether religious organizations should have the right to discriminate in the workplace against um, gays and lesbians um, and uh, whether they should be able to be exempt from federal anti-discrimination law. Do you have a position on that? I don't think businesses should be able to discriminate in the workplace against gays and liberal. I... I don't let my religion run my entire life. There are certain beliefs that I hold. There are a couple of things when it comes to pro-choice. I am pro-choice. Um, death with dignity, and I think gay marriage were three things that I felt that you need to, our members need to be able to vote their conscience on. There are many areas in which I may not often believe or would do myself, but as a legislator, I would vote certain ways. Uh, My district, it's important that I am their voice, that I reflect as best I can uh, the majority of the people in my district because they vote for me. So those are things that I take into consideration as I'm formulating my position. Certainly on the same-sex marriage issue, as Senate President, I facilitated that issue. Uh, It passed. I made no effort to try to stop it. It's the law. I respect the law. Uh, I voted against seatbelts. I wear my seatbelts now. Uh, but, you know, that's the democracy. You have people from all walks of life that rep- come together in a representative government. And so you may not always have 100% uh, a vote, but at the same time, the majority will, in fact, rule. And I respect that. That's the so process. There, um, is legislation now being proposed in Congress that would require religious, um, that would take away the religious exemption that um, some groups have claimed um, and used to deny contraceptive benefits to their workers. Would you support congressional efforts to uh, void the Supreme Court's decision? Not having read the bill at this point, I am in favor of it, but again, I would need to read it, and many times the devil's in the details. Um, that happened with with same not same. That happened with death with dignity. I supported death with dignity. However, there were some very egregious things in the bill that I just could not bring myself to support. So, yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk about Native Hawaiian issue, sovereignty, a caca bill, uh, the most recent proposed Department of Interior uh, initiative. Um, what is your uh, what is your reading of this whole last round of interior department meetings that is you know just now wrapping up? What did it tell you, and where are we on this very difficult issue? We are exactly where we started <laughs> on this issue. A wrong was done to the Hawaiian people, and there is a whole history of that. We need to be sensitive to that. Uh, I am not of Native Hawaiian blood. My son has Native Hawaiian blood in him. But this is a conversation that the Native Hawaiian community need to have. They need to come to a consensus 
and I need to be mindful and we need to respect that but until they can come to some consensus I don't know if administratively that you can dictate uh, to the native Hawaiian population of what it is it sh- should happen there they need to be the ones to come to that consensus and it won't be easy because does that mean that you would not support the Akaka bill at the federal level no that's I support the I supported the Akaka bill at the federal level uh, in principle, but with the administrative uh, hearings that have been going on, I know there is a divide in the community as to which way it should go. There is no perfect bill. There is no perfect solution to this. Uh, I don't think I don't think there's an Akaka bill on the table. I think we should clarify that for right now for right. listeners. Um, I think. It, you know, by virtue of his retirement and by virtue of OHA, um, which has been the biggest supporter of the Akaka bill, saying that they throw in the towel on it and they're open to, you know, all this dialogue that's gone on. Uh, it's off the table. But, um, uh, you know, the senator's saying, well, we're back where we started. That's your phrase. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? <laughs> We're back where we started in the sense that there is no consensus among the Native Hawaiian community as to how to proceed, uh, whether we do it administratively, try to go back to doing it um, by way of legislation, mm-hmm. and exactly what should that entail. Mm-hmm. Devil's advocate question, why does there have to be consensus among Native Hawaiians when you can't get a consensus among Haoles or Filipinos or Japanese or Chinese about anything, really, because we're all, you know, uh, we distribute ourselves widely across a spectrum of opinion. Why, uh, why is it that Native Hawaiians should be expected to agree on this tremendously volatile question? Well, I mean, it's self-determination, and self-determination would mean that the Native Hawaiian community as a whole, and I, you know, I'm not talking about 100% consensus. There need to be a majority that will agree to self-determination. And if you can't agree, then I don't know how you would have self-determination. Do you want to ask anything more? Uh, well, there's so many issues that we haven't been able to touch, and, and you've been generous with being willing to go all over the map with us. Um, one that I know some people um, are really concerned about this week is immigration reform and the humanitarian crisis caused by the large numbers of children coming over the border. Um, we just had the bishops from Honduras saying that we should treat this as a humanitarian issue and grant children that are fleeing from violence refugee status. Um, how do you think we should deal with this crisis? I wish I knew. <laughs> the American people are very compassionate. And here in Hawaii, we're even more compassionate. And to see children having to flee the country, it, it's, it's hard. Uh, and so your initial reaction is you would like to embrace them all and bring them in. However, reality is such that I don't know that we have enough resources in our country to be able to embrace all of them coming in. 
there are issues of whether or not they uh, would all be able to meet the refugee um, status. I understand there are a number of gang gangs, uh, teenagers that are coming over, and these are um, young people that are getting involved with the law and issues that I think we certainly would not would want into our country. We have enough of our own <laughs> at this point, but there is just we just don't have enough resources to handle all of the children that are coming now or would be coming should we grant them uh, that of uh, refugee status. In specific cases where um, children are targeted by gangs, um, they would be possibly eligible for asylum status if they are fleeing for their lives from persecution. Um, In that case, uh, existing law says that we should allow them to stay. Well, we, we need to certainly look at that, and how do we then sift that out? Because at this point, the border system is not working, and to allow them all in and then not be able to take their cases for a long period of time, and num- many of them will not come back for that, I mean, there is definitely a breakdown there, and that really needs to be looked at. Because, again... If an entire country of young people decide that they want to come in, there is just no way that we would be able to have enough resources to handle that. Um, Senator, thank you very much. Uh, Let me ask you one more quick question uh, because it's equivalent to our previous one. Um, You're often described as the front runner. And the latest description is that this is now boiled down to sort of a two-person race between yourself and Mark Takai. Um, uh, in campaign politics terms, where do you think this race is at this point, and what do you project? Well, I never, I don't know who said it boiled down to a two-person race. As far as I'm concerned, there are at least seven strong candidates that is part of um, this campaign. Certainly all are working very hard. All are putting their effort into being the next representative for the state of Hawaii, for District 1. I respect them all. So I look at all of them as being um, uh, very uh, strong uh, opponents uh, for this. I think it makes the race even better for that. But again, you know, the only poll that really counts is the one on election day. And I don't like to put any real strong credence on uh, a poll being the front runner. Does not always mean (laughs) uh, that it's good. You have everybody attacking you and so forth uh, because they perceive you as being the front runner. I will work, continue to work hard as I have in all of my campaigns. I will do all of the the basic groundwork and um, grassroots work that needs to be done and uh, explain give explain my positions and let the people decide on who would be the best representative for them in Congress and based on my record uh, it's not just a record of 31 years but it's a strong record of being in front of the issues not being afraid to take a stance speaking out for the people that I represent and being in leadership roles that define the 31 years that I have been in office. And that reflects the trust and confidence and faith that my constituent have placed in me for 31 years. And that's what I put forward to give the voters a choice uh, in this election. 
in addition to your your record of service and your you know vigorous campaign you have this terrific ad from your mother on television <laughs> I think it's really delightful <laughs> you know that was done it was not a scripted it was not a scripted in fact I told That's my mom what's delightful about it, right? <laughs> I said mom you sound so pigeon but we grew up with no running hot water I had no running hot water I had to boil water on the stove and for my dad when he came home from work and for all of us so I live that it's not a story I tell about my parents it's mm. it's my life as well yeah. and so she did depict it in the in at first, I wasn't sure that we should put that on, but I was told, yes, you know, you need to have that on your commercial. So, Great. thanks very much and good luck. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you so much for your time. Aloha. This land is your land. <laughs>